Before I get into my homily, I want to clarify. When I referred to the book earlier, I didn't mean it as a dig that you wouldn't recognize it. (laughs) I meant that the placement was such that you wouldn't see that on the cover it says, the first Universalist Church of Minneapolis. But along those lines. We are still, it was in a closet for 20 years, so we are still trying to catch up with some of the members, and I have the list downstairs, so if you haven't yet signed it, check with me after service and see if you have yet to sign it. I also want to apologize. I hope my voice lasts. I have an incredible respect for our called ministers. I have never witnessed them calling in sick on a Sunday morning. Um, And I didn't want to do that either. So with water and throat lozenges, I'm hoping that I will do fine. I first entered a Unitarian Universalist church in about 1979. I did not find it welcoming nor compelling. I left thinking, well, that's that. I guess Unitarian Universalism isn't for me. Various friends and acquaintances told me not all UU churches are the same, and I should try another one. Well, it took me five years, but I finally decided to give Unitarian Universalism another try. I attended First Universalist Church, and it was different from my previous experience. I joined two months later and have been deeply involved ever since. I have always felt the roots of Universalism here at First Universalist, Perhaps it's because my first experience was at a UU church with Unitarian roots. Perhaps it was because early on, the distinction between the two was described in a way that resonated for me. The Reverend John Cummins explained that Universalists came to their beliefs based on world experience. He called early Universalists children of the Enlightenment. As seafaring families along the eastern seaboard before the American Revolution, they held larger, more liberal views than their neighbors because they had a wider experience of life. They knew from direct experience that it was a diverse world, and they could not believe that only a handful of New England Calvinists were to be saved. (laughs) They preached that God was love, not vengeance, and that people were basically good. Theirs was a larger faith. There has always been shorthand for distinguishing among the large churches in the metro area, three in the 1980s when I joined, and now four with the impressive growth of the Monomedi Church. And the lines have blurred over these 25 years as well. The Reverend Kendall Gibbons has brought more spirituality to the First Unitarian Society, and the Reverends Rob and Jan Eller-Isaacs have brought more justice work to unity. But in the 1980s, the distinction was stated as the Unitarian Society being the thinking church, unity being the praying church, and First Universalist being the social action church. Under the ministry of Susan and Terry, our reputation began to include being the spiritual church. All of this is broad brush and overgeneralized, But I do believe all would agree the churches have a different feel from each other, and for many that affects which church they attend. At this year's General Assembly in Salt Lake City, I attended a workshop about our Universalist heritage led by the Reverend Dick Gilbert. He retired in June of 2005 after 44 years of ministry, 
the last 32 in the Unitarian Universalist Church in Rochester, New York. He told us about many great Universalists and their messages. I cannot go into them this morning, but I brought this up to mention he distinguished, again, broad brush, Unitarians as intellectual and the Universalists as feeling, with the additional comment that Universalists are, however, not slackers intellectually. (laughs) I had been looking for a way to say the same thing and thought quoting a retired minister my best bet. Last summer, I was in New York City and attended All Souls Unitarian Church. Their associate minister, the Reverend Cheryl M. Walker, preached. She spoke about universalism, specifically what it brought to our religious movement and her irritation that so often Unitarian Universalists call themselves Unitarians. Seemingly dismissing the Universalists. This has always bothered me, too, so this sermon really resonated. She she suggested it may come from laziness. So many syllables in Unitarian Universalism. And her instruction to all was, stop it. (laughs) It is not Unitarian, but Unitarian Universalist. I think a lack of understanding about what Universalism brings to our religious movement is also a factor and why people are lax in using our full name. Reverend Walker went on to say, So much of what we hold dear about Unitarian Universalism comes not from our Unitarian ancestors, but from our Universalist heritage. We talk about freedom, reason, and tolerance, the stalwarts of Unitarianism, but we fail to mention hope, courage, and love, the beliefs of Universalism. However, in this congregation, we do mention hope, courage, and love. We have been intentional over the years to discuss Universalist history, especially this year as we celebrate our sesquicentennial. I remember sitting with others many years ago as we created our current mission statement, and it was Nancy Acheson who reminded us to include the Universalist message of love and hope. But let me add a bit more about Universalist history. In 1850, Universalism was the sixth largest denomination in this country. We had approximately 800,000 members. Put that in context. Currently, we have about 150,000 Unitarian Universalists. The saving message of John Murray and Hosea Ballou offered as an alternative to the Calvinist message of hell and damnation appealed to many. In the 1770s, John Murray preached Go out into the highways and byways of America, your new country. Give the people blanketed with decaying and crumbling Calvinism something of your new vision. Give them not hell, but hope and courage. Do not push them deeper into their theological despair, but preach the kindness and everlasting love of God. Reverend Walker remarked that the greatest challenge for the Universalists came from their own success. As their message of a loving God grew, other denominations, in particular the Methodists, toned down their rhetoric of an angry God, full of damnation and hellfire. Without this singular negative message, people had less of a reason to change denominations, and universalism started its decline in numbers. But she went on to say, The legacy they gave us was one that demanded that we take to heart 
the idea that every person is worthy of our respect and consideration. It demands that we speak up in the face of oppression and strive to change the world for the better. It challenges us to open ourselves not just to people like us, but to all people. The Universalists succeeded in changing the landscape of religion forever, not just our religion, but all religion. It asks us still to be the prophetic voice of love in the world. Unitarians, this is still Reverend Walker, Unitarians may be the big U in Unitarian Universalism with its money and its power, but Universalism has always been the bigger U with its bigger heart. Which brings us back here to First Universalist. Big actions like Unity Settlement House, John Cummins counseling during the Vietnam War, marching with the, doctor, with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, declaring First Universalist a peace site, creating the Peace Garden, the First Universalist Foundation, a funding source for community action, wrapping a ribbon around the building, declaring it a hate-free zone. Unity Summer, the numerous peace marches, and then the work of justice by church individuals. We've remained very active in social justice from our universalist heritage. The Reverend Walker's mention of heart resonates with my thinking. Universalists are the church of the open heart. This fits with my anecdotal evidence gathered over the years. As I greet visitors and people who decide to become members of First Universalist, the ones who have uh, church shopped say, First Universalist is just so friendly and warm. This, added to shared values and worldview, guided their choice. Now, perhaps at other congregations a similar conversation is going on, but the comment is, those people at First Universalists are just too friendly. <laughs> I felt my personal space invaded. <laughs> so we all make our choices based on other things. But I'm here to say, I like the degree to which you invade my personal space. <laughs> I want to spend a few minutes talking about Grace Wilson. She was a favorite of mine, and I must admit I take pride in the words she spoke to me. You remind me of me when I was your age. But the context included a warning to pay attention to not overcommit and then burn out. In the booklet of thoughts from long-term members from which uh, Mary did this morning's reading, Grace's remarks took three and a half pages, and they did not cut it down. Or if they did, it was still long. Um, and I'm glad they did not. Her words covered a lot of history and wisdom and charm. I want to share all of her words with you. <clears throat> this was written in 1992, um, so we were in the other building on 50th and the Parkway. My husband and I are two of the few who were born into the church, and I am still here. From this, you might think that I inherited my church loyalty. I meant to mention Grace died a few months after she wrote this. 
Maybe there is some truth to this, for my late husband Harold's parents and grandparents belonged, and my mother and father were pillars of the church from 1900 on. First at Tuttle on, the 27th, on 27th and Blaisdell, then at the large downtown Church of the Redeemer under Dr. Shutter, after that at the church house on 4600 DuPont, and at this church under the leadership of Dr. Olson and Mildred. Harold and I were brought up in the Universalist Sunday School, fell in love in the youth group, and were married by a Universalist minister. We did draw away from the church for a member of, number of years, however. This was during the lowest period of the Church of the Redeemer, a beautiful, huge church building built to seat 2,000 persons, but with only 35 in the pews on a Sunday morning. This was too depressing for us, and we took our children and went elsewhere. Though we made friends, heard some interesting sermons, and liked and respected the ministers in these non-universalist churches, there was something lacking, something we missed. So we came back to the universalist church. Fortunately, it was there to come back to, because people like our parents had kept the institution alive during its low period. Under Dr. Olson's leadership, the church began to gradually gain strength and growth. It achieved a strong, vital membership, a beautiful new building, and a respected leadership role in the community. I would like, this is still Grace, I would like to try to define the qualities of this church that are most important to me, qualities that have made the church a very important part of our lives. In this church, we have freedom of expression. There is nothing pious or pompous here. We have a feeling of the unity of life. We don't separate the sacred from the secular, the good from the bad, the physical from the spiritual. All parts of life are intermingled and intermeshed. We have an attitude of searching for the truth. We are willing to examine our own motives, our own church, our religious beliefs, and we are willing to make changes. In this church, there is an emphasis on the potential goodness of human beings and our ability to accomplish great things. The rights of the minority are upheld, whether they be religious, racial, or political, whether they be within our church fellowship or without. I like an atmosphere in which a person with a minority viewpoint can express his opinions vehemently and yet to be and yet continue to be warmly loved and respected by those holding the opposite view. The democratic process is basic in this church. On the other hand, we have a strong tradition of intelligent and, inspire, and inspiring leadership by the ministers. I know very well that these two qualities are not always in harmony. Sometimes the leadership by the laity is more noticeable. At other times, the leadership of the minister is more obvious. There is bound to be some shifting back and forth as times demand. The wisdom of her words just really amaze me. I also know very well that the role of a minister in a universalist church is not an easy one. He or she is on one hand a leader and on the other hand an employee. When the pews are filled by independent, free-thinking universalists, it is no small achievement to arrive at a good, workable relationship between the minister and the congregation. This has been true in the past, and it will be true in the future. This church has always been a warm, friendly place, 
People really care if you are here, if the job is going well, if your husband is getting better. They accept you. They do not judge you. We get to know people well. We know their families. We know their successes, their worries, and how they meet life. People are not closed in and secretive. They share their lives with others. In this church, we are deeply and proudly rooted in history. To know the strength of the leaders of the past gives us something to live up to in the present and the future. In general, out of a Sunday service, I want intellectual and emotional stimulation from the sermons and readings and forums. I need this to broaden my horizons, enlarge my knowledge, and give me confidence in my own powers and talents to cope. I want a period of prayer or meditation during the church service. I feel strengthened and enriched by a quiet time to aspire, to come to peace, to express my needs, to try to do better. I love the music in our church. The choir and the organs are a thrilling experience for me. I like experimentation and innovation in the church service, but I also like orderliness. I like some of the old retained as we add the spice of the new. And in closing, she says the same words you heard Mary say earlier. The most important thing about this church to me are the people I love. To sit in the midst of friends on a Sunday morning, to know that we share the same basic attitudes and values, to gain courage and strength from their friendship, to know them as hilarious companions as well as rescuers in the storm. To sit among such people on a Sunday morning is good companionship, is a kind of unspoken communion. This church is like home to me, as it was to my husband, like an extension of family, and it is a kind of link to greatness and goodness and courage and love beyond all understanding. Our our universalist roots are deep. It is a heritage to be proud of. Whether everyone who is drawn here realizes the reason may be the universalist message of love and hope, it is undoubtedly a factor. When speaking of your faith community, your religious tradition, proudly declare yourself a Unitarian Universalist. Thank you.